The new Revised Standard Version of the Bible is probably the best English translation, but sometimes there are awkwardnesses in the translation, and fishers for people is one of them, <laughs> at least to me. Uh, last week I preached about vocation, uh, what it is, and how and why during the, the Epiphany Sundays, Sundays after Epiphany, we focus on vocation, and it's going to segue uh, as we get into Lent once again uh, on baptism, which for Christian people, uh, the, the charge they receive at their baptism is the Christian vocation. And in fact, if you want to use something that is a good test of how you're doing, I do this every Lent. I come into the church on Ash Wednesday, sometime during the day, and sit quietly, and I open the, the Book of Common Prayer to the baptismal liturgy, and I read the baptismal covenant, and ask myself the question, how am I doing? And so today... I want to preach about repentance because it's also a theme that occurs in these seasons. Uh, it occurs in the green seasons uh, more than once, but in Advent we hear about repentance from John the Baptist, and in Lent we hear about repentance, and today we're reading about repentance, Jesus speaking about repentance, and Jonah in Nineveh is going to say something about the necessity for the people of Nineveh, that great city, to repent. So let me say first that uh, I talk a lot about the, the Greek words for repentance uh, in, the, in, the Hebrew, in the Greek Bible, metanoia and epistrophe, and uh, it is changing the direction that you're looking for happiness is one definition from Father Thomas Keating. But as I was preparing my sermon this week, uh, in the middle of the week, uh, I heard that Marcus Borg had died. Marcus Borg is a very well-known uh, biblical scholar and teacher in the Episcopal Church and in other uh, traditions. He's married to an Episcopal priest and said once in a talk I heard him give that that was not part of his life plan. <laughs> but this is how things turned out. In any case, uh, he wrote a book, many books, but one that uh, I'm going to read a quotation from called The Heart of Christianity. And I need to tell you up front, I don't agree with Marcus Borg uh, about many things. But he is a person who has been responsible for bringing people back and for producing a way of understanding or a container for a credible Christianity. And in this book, The Heart of Christianity, he speaks about repentance and uh, says, you know, in the Hebrew Bible, it means return to God. But he goes on to explain the meaning of repentance in the New, or repent, in the New Testament. Repentance in the New Testament has additional nuances of meaning. The Greek roots of the word combine to mean go beyond the mind that you have been given and acquired. Go beyond the mind shaped by culture 
to the mind that you have in Christ. You may say, I don't know, I don't have the mind in Christ where you were baptized. So it's lurking somewhere in your internal states. And it's present there in that sense. And actually, I don't think... uh, Borg speaks about this as, uh, in contrast to uh, some sort of interior guilt. You know, the movement is is this sense of focusing on on the interior guilt. Maybe that's because he was raised as a Lutheran. But there's another way to speak about this, and what he talks about as he goes on after this quotation is to say that part of the processes of, of repentance uh, is to understand properly the nature of remorse, being sorry. Now, if he's saying here, go beyond the mind shaped by culture to the mind that you have in Christ, all of us are shaped by the mind of our culture. We don't have any time for remorse. In 1969, Philip Reif wrote a book called The Triumph of the Therapeutic. And in the book he said, health is defined in our age as a manipulatable sense of well-being. And so we think we've figured it out or are trying to figure it out in that sense. So I'm going to juxtapose this quotation next to another quotation from a I read this book in 1991. If you've not read it or heard of it, I think you, it would repay doing so. It's called The Passion of the Western Mind by Richard Tarnas, T-A-R-N-A-S. And in it, when he's talking about uh, the Western uh, thought, thought world and how we develop things over time, he was talking about repentance and ideas that have shaped our worldview about this matter. And he quotes from a Mexican poet, writer, and diplomat by the name of Octavio Paz. Maybe some of you have written, read some of his poetry. He says, the examination of conscience and the remorse that accompanies it, which is a legacy of Christianity, has been and is the single most powerful remedy against the ills of our civilization. So the process of going beyond the mind you have can and does involve a proper kind of remorse, which is the ability to acknowledge that first false step, and the willingness to begin again. So what this is all talking about is the process of repentance, which involves conversion. Now, there are many Christians who believe conversion is a once and for all act. But my opinion is, uh, having done this for a while, what I do, is that it's a process. It's a continuous process of being reconverted and understanding the need for that. Well, how did you get converted in the first place? We can seek uh, some of the famous spiritual writers on the spiritual life 
One St. Paul is famous, and so is Augustine, who wrote his Confessions. And here's the description that we have from them about the processes of conversion. The first part is the feeling of a disorientation, being knocked off your pins. Stuff happens, you begin to examine carefully uh, your, your life situation at the present moment, and that moves you to a gathering together of elements from your past, a reflection upon your personal history. In the recovery movement, they would say, making a fearless and searching moral inventory. And after that, forgiveness for failures and a sense that, the, that mercy is present to you. That feeling. And the understanding that that's the result of an intervention and call from some enabling other, from God. So you hear me say all the time that when God's judgment, which is real, collides with God's mercy, God's mercy trumps God's judgment. And so when we think about that, uh, it is a radical reorientation of one's desires thought processes and actions in spite of what many Christians would like to emphasize. You sense in yourself uh, some species of change that has occurred as you live. This experience, though, I think is really not abrupt. It's a gradual turning away from the way you used to think about things in the past. So, in the reading today from Jonah, we have Jonah, we're at the point now, Jonah has been vomited out of the big fish that swallowed him and is on the shore. God, prior to this, uh, has told uh, Jonah to go to Nineveh and to prophesy to Nineveh and to tell them that the people of Nineveh have strayed from God's ways that God is going to visit on this city trouble and plenty of it. He reluctantly goes, by the way, he didn't want to have to do this. And so he arrives at Nineveh. It says Nineveh was such a big city it took three days to walk across. Well, some of my friends have been to Nineveh and it's about a mile and a half wide. So... Uh, the reason I mention this is not to be a debunker, but the history of it is not where the point is. So he goes, and he, pro he tells the people of Nineveh that they're, they're up against it. They have to repent, or God's, God's judgment is going to come on them in a very serious way. And guess what? They repent! They listened and they did it. And they dressed in sackcloth and ashes on themselves. They did all this kind of stuff. And God relented. God changed his mind. 
That's a very important thing that you and I need close to our hearts. You know, God can change his mind. So, what would you, how would you think Noah felt? He was furious. Furious. He'd gone there to tell these people they were going to get it, and he was waiting to see them get it. That's what he wanted. That's what he wanted to happen. You know? So this raises another question about the issue of repentance. And that is, how do we see people that we believe are are guilty of egregious behavior when they turn their lives around? Or they have not reaped the benefits that they, they thought they would, or people thought they would reap as the result of their behavior, but experienced God's unconditional love, acceptance, and forgiveness. Now what? You know? So it raises the question... I think, of how we feel when we see that occur. Now, there needs to be something that goes side by side with this. And that is, when you see people repent, how do you receive their repentance in terms of your relational life with them? Those of us who've been in the helping professions for a while uh, often um, come up against uh, someone who'll say something like, well, they'll rehearse to you some hair-raising story about what they've been through as the result of someone else's actions. And then that person comes to them and says, they're sorry... And they want you to forgive them. There is, you know, a broad in Christianity and has been for many centuries, what I call the doormat theory of forgiveness and, and, uh, oh, it's okay. It gives me the opportunity, by the way, to say that humility means, Thomas Aquinas said, humility means knowing yourself. Knowing how high you can reach. Now, sometimes in an entrepreneurial culture, that's a little controversial because people always believe they should reach higher than they can reach. And sometimes that may be true. But what Thomas Aquinas really meant was you need to know yourself. And when you know yourself, you know your limitations. And part of humility is knowing what you can do better than many other people. And own that that it's important. Desmond Tutu wrote a book. I wasn't going to say this, but he wrote a book uh, some years ago uh, about uh, no, no, no peace without forgiveness. I think that's the title. And here's what he said about forgiveness. Forgiveness is relinquishing your right to seek revenge. Forgiveness is relinquishing your right to seek revenge. So somebody said to him, well, what about the perpetrator? What what do they need to do? And he said, confess. Because when you do that, you'll be 
on your way to understanding uh, the true and profound nature uh, of repentance in a way that is very important. Sometimes you, you, all of us need to forgive people. That's what we need to do. But it doesn't mean, as my grandfather used to say, you have to eat out of the same plate with them. And sometimes it isn't even safe to be around them. And that's okay. But if you don't do it, spiritually it's going to be a stone in your breast. And it will be harder to make forward progress as you live. So conversion is intimately wrapped up with the idea of repentance. Alan Jones, the former dean of Grace Cathedral, in his book Reimagining Christianity, says conversion means having the heart open to and sometimes broken by new possibilities. One of the things we know about is that God is really good at healing broken hearts. It's one of the features of God's operation in our internal emotional, spiritual, and mental states. But we must continue to understand the importance of going through the processes of conversion and that it's very important. I have never believed that conversion was a once-and-for-all thing. It certainly hasn't been for me. And so we have to think about its repeatability and how that also figures in the ongoing. William Law, who was a spiritual writer in the 17th century in England, he was an Anglican priest, And when uh, William and Mary came to the throne in the 17th century, into the 18th century, early 18th century, he was one of those priests who would not swear allegiance to William and Mary. And so he went up to Scotland and became what they call a non-juror. But he wrote a, a book called The Introduction to the Devout Life, He was a pretty austere guy. You have to say this about him. He also wrote a pamphlet entitled On the Absolute Unwarrantableness of Stage Entertainment. (laughs) So no theater going for him. No, no. But in his book, uh, uh, The Devout Life, a, A Serious Call to the Devout Life, he talks at some length about what he describes as the processes of God. And I believe that that you can say that the conversion is part of the processes of God in the hearts of all people, that we're continuously moving in that direction. So this week, bring the light of God's grace and love on your habits of being and relating. Ask God to help you reorient yourself where that is necessary. Understand that God is present as an internal resource to enlighten and strengthen you. See how you can go beyond the mind you have been given to see more fully and clearly God's purposes for you. Amen.